for RRL. Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein. Powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats with Cam Luke and John Stephenson. Yes, it most certainly is, wherever you might be. If it's the SEN Network Thursday night, hello to you. If it's via podcast, wherever you got your podcast, wherever you got us, thank you. If it's via YouTube, anywhere around the world, thank you. We do it all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Warehouse, not warehoused. Chemist Warehouse. Head in there. Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. Johnny Steph, he, he rolls on in topless. <laughs> oh, mate. Good gym session, was it, J-Bone? Hello to you. It's, it's raining cats and dogs <laughs> at you, Cam. So I had to, I had to go and do a bit of a handy work outside with the rain. But well, uh, you no, haven't got a gardener in your Thailand mansion. Uh, as, as always, we've got a lot to talk about yep. uh, throughout the show. And um, I'm a bit fired up today, Cam. I, I know people think it's my natural demeanor, but... But I reckon there's a lot of things we can discuss. We can change the sport, Cam. I think we're getting closer every episode. Okay, well, let's start there. We'll, we'll talk about our, our favourites. Cat Bissett ran really well. Our Ollie Hall likewise. Very well. But what, what are you so angry about? Talk to Councillor Cam. Uh, no, well, listen, Cam, I mean, it's no secret that Uncle Steph loves to do have a little bit of a flutter. That's, I don't mind a bit of a pun. I'm a big fan. He work on the SEN trackside. Yes. And, 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 and you know, every now and then I think, you know, you in the Olympic Games comes on now that I'm retired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at the uh, at the markets and there, there you go. Athletics comes in there. Boom. And I go, you know what? I know the 100 metres and I feel I have the knowledge in the sport uh, mm-hmm. and I'm able to flutter with confidence. Uh, Cameron? Absolutely. I just don't understand why our sport does not, start to, you know, look at these, you know, massive, massive gambling, uh, you know, websites and companies and start to bring them in. I mean, this is one way of converting the the, the sports lover and sometimes some of that, this loves competition in actually understanding, getting to know the sport. There's markets for so many sports around the world. And for some reason that we, 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 you know, with all these gambling, they got, they got, they got so much money, and especially when it comes to marketing, that could be injected into the sport. I just don't know why we don't, you know, we don't start to, um, to see their involvement a bit more in our sport across the world. This is not a domestic issue. This is across the world. And I, I think that'll, that'd really diversify the sport in some way and also bring, generate a bit more commercial interest. So. That's my gripe for today. I know it's a bit negative to start the show, okay. Cam, but you know we. This is why the show's here, man. We out here to disrupt, change the game, and give the voice to the athletes, athletes people. I'm I'm interested in this too because you are right. Now I'm not necessarily someone who traditionally uh, would have a flutter too often on athletics, but it definitely happens around the Olympic Games. And and I, I legit always gamble responsibly, but I, I legit had never thought that athletics that you couldn't gamble on it until this exact moment. Until this exact moment, you're having this conversation with me and I'm trying to have a little look and I can't find anything. It has surprised me because there are pros and cons. Sort of understand the pushback occasionally, but done in the right way, I I think it can definitely enhance, in particular, the coffers of sports. And it has in Australia to another level. Now, there's a fair bit going on. You've got to balance it off correctly. I understand that. But I am a little surprised by the fact that uh, what you just told me seems to be true. Well, I'll give some context to it, Cam. Mm-hmm. Because our sport is a federated sport, it's government-supported, and it runs such a huge junior program pathways all the way to seniors. And the purists will say that you want to keep the sport as pure as possible when you're talking about things like gambling. We've got rid of smoking and alcohol out of a lot of sports. And, and, and I think that's the right direction to go. But the reality is when you're talking about the big commercial model of federated sports, we have to play catch-up in some perspective and in some way, right? And you're noticing a lot of the big commercial sports, which we say we can't compete with. Well, they're doing this, right? 
but they're finding a way to manage it. They're finding to control the messaging. They're finding to control the messaging to each demographic. And I think that is a that is a bit of a um, some homework and education that has to be done from a global perspective. And I think that'll really really help commercialize the sport a little bit better. And you see, look, you see it in the store gift, right? I mean, they yeah. have markets at the at the at, at the track. Um, they got the old school punters, old school bookies at the track, and um and and you know and they find a way to make that work. And the purists will say, yes, that's pro running, John, and this is amateur running. But look, it's 2023 and we need to really speed up the sport commercially. Um, we need to make sure we captivate not only the track fan, but the average sport fan to love the sport. Because like we say every episode, Cam, track and field and athletics is really the basis of most sports. And you, it complements most sports. So um, I think it's important for it to find its correct place within the sporting, um, you know, demographic and the sporting market. And I definitely think that, that is as an asset to every sport. And it's got to be seen in that light. Uh, I like where you are at because, and, and you, you, you touch on the fact that it is the basis of, of so many sports wide around the world. Something that I really, this is why I have the, the, the 100 metres at the Olympics or the World Championships or the world record holder, of course, which mm. is Usain Bolt the fastest man to ever run 100 metres. I I find it remarkable that there are so many different things in life, and it doesn't matter if it's sport or otherwise, that you can walk into a room of which you excel at a particular pursuit, and you can say to yourself, you know what, I'm probably, I'm probably the best slam dunker in the room, or I'm probably the smartest person in the room when it comes to mathematics, or when it comes to a whatever it might be, right? But there's always an just a slight air of, is that in fact true? Usain Bolt can walk into any single room <laughs> in the world and just definitively say, I am the fastest person in this room. I am the fastest person in this room. I'm the fastest person that's ever walked into this room. I'm the fastest person that's ever going to walk out of this room up until his world record gets broken. And that is... We talk about speed and we talk about endurance, depending on whatever sport it might be, but that is a really good point. Athletics and running in particular is the basis of so many sports around the world and it can all be centered back to athletics. And I like the fact that you're able to look around and go, you know what, we've got to take some stuff out of other sports that have taken so much of out of what we do on a regular basis. Correct. And shout out to the big man. He was his anniversary when he first put the world record in New York, which I was at that race uh, in 2008. Um, and, and you're quite correct, Cam, that, that you know, when, when you're talking about back in the day, they measured this world's strongest man, mm -hmm. the heavyweight champion of the world mm -hmm. and the fastest man in the world. Mm -hmm. I and mean, we're talking of the days of Muhammad Ali, Jesse Owens, you know, we're talking that sort of era. Um, and you're quite correct. Usain Bolt can walk into any room, right? and say he is the fast man. Anyone can challenge that, ratify, challenge that world record, but they can't, and they can't do that. But, you know, you see him with the heavyweight champion of the world, there's so many belts and, and different organizations now, it's quite subjective, right, on who is the Absolutely. heavyweight champion of the world, right? So, you know, there is a lot of merit when you talk, start talking about track and field and its place within the sporting mm -hmm. culture of the world, right? And I think it's time, it, it's time it takes its correct place as an asset to all sports and compulsory, if in order for you to be a great basketball, you need to do what, Cam? You need to be able to run. Absolutely. If you're able to, you know, you're seeing even swimmers, they still got to run. Even, and, and there's a lot of synergies with swimming too. A lot of sports cross-pollinate. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not because I'm an athletics purist and I love the sport. It's just the facts, man. And on this show, we like to speak facts. And I challenge anybody to tell me that uh, any of the sport they do, they don't run. Just quickly. In some time of their career. Just quickly, that first world record in New York, was it 971? 
It was nine six nine, if I'm correct. Did he get nine six nine? Then he ran nine five eight. I thought he broke the world record. No, it was nine seven one. It was nine seven one. It was nine seven. Then he went nine six nine. Then he went nine five eight. The, the time is actually a little bit irrelevant about my next question because, um, what did you party it up? Like what happens? Well, a great mate of yours breaks, and you're in season, by the way. So I'm interested to see what the mindset is. But when he when he breaks the world 100 meter record in New York, what happens? Like, what, what did he party? Did you party? Did you enjoy it, or is it just business as usual? And you all go back to training the next day. I, I find it the mindset of athletes, of which you are one of the best and have been one of the best in the world, interesting around these situations. Um. To be honest with you, man, it was a very young bolt back then. Yeah. And uh, we only started <laughs> uh, acting silly at, after Berlin. Okay. So, um, so, <laughs> so, um, so up until that point, mm. uh, he was a very, he was a very good boy. <laughs> you can't <laughs> so, even say it without laughing. <laughs> Come so, on. Uh, no, no, no. I shouldn't say that. Look, but we forget the time. It was Asafa Powell and and Tyson Gay that was shocking the world. They yeah. were breaking world records every time they stepped on the track. And in comes a guy that was a 200-meter specialist um, who was a tall, lanky kid who was, showed great promise as a junior, as a 60-year-old, had every world record up until that point, um, decided to run 100 meters at his, in Jamaica. And everybody said, hey, that time was fake because it was done in Jamaica. He pulls up to New York and shocks the world. Um, if you were at the track that day, the stadium shook. It rumbled. Um, people of our... I was in disbelief. I, th- I, I I had appendix surgery two weeks before that. I raced there and I ran 46. Nine, I'll never forget the time I ran. I remember sitting with my good friend in the stands and we just had our jaws to the ground. We like, oh, we witnessed something. Uh, we witnessed history. We witnessed the, 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 um, the, you know, the, the, the coming out party of Usain Bolt. And, um, and, and it's clear to see what he's done. He's transformed the sport. Um, so it's magical moments in track and field, which we miss. It's magical moments in track and field, which we love. And, um, and, and, and this is why we're so keen like you keep saying, Cam, to watch um, the, the games um, come next year and, and especially to watch, you know, these Blue Ribbon events. It's interesting because I just looking back on it, he did run 971 on the clock. It was ratified to 972. It still stayed as the as the world record. And I, I went back, you posted it on your Instagram yesterday or the day before, and he was slow away. I, look, again, as, as an athlete, and even when you do things that are remarkable, and I don't know if you did this, when you look back at your, your 06 Commonwealth Games goal and all the rest of it, because you always seem to be searching for perfection. And on the back of that Usain Bolt run, even though he shocked the world in New York at a 9.72, I assume he looked back and thought, I can still go better. My slow start, I got a little, which was a bit of a concern at different times mm. for him over the 100, um, was a little sluggish. I'll, I'll, I'll pivot this to you. When you run in Melbourne and you win the gold in the 06 Com Games or you make a world championship final or you win an Olympic silver medal, do you still, even though when you are somewhat patting yourself on the back, understandably, do you still go back and are able to then fight through the weeds and say, I've still got to do this better and there is the improvement I can make? 100%, Cam. And I think, you know, every, I think when you get that top echelon of the 1% in the world in any sport, I think you become a perfectionist, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. There's so many intricacies at the top level of the sport. You talk rugby, you saw the Oro State Origin last last night. You ask any of those players out there, they'll be able to dissect that whole game minute by minute. You know, you look at NBL, basketball, NBA, Cam, you know that sport, understand it very well. They can tell you if the humidity is dense within a stadium, I've got to shoot the ball X like this. Golf is the – we talked about this last week when we talked about um, – um, 
uh, Phil Mickelson, you know, he understands when he hits a ball um, if in the morning, that ball is going to come out three meters deeper than what it's going to come out in the afternoon. So in answering your question, no matter what happens, you always feel you can be faster. Talking to the big man, you're saying, I mean, we talk to this day. He says, Jay, if I had those spikes they got on now, I would have ran 9.4. You know, he still believes he could have ran 9.4, you know, and he breaks down every one of his races. And he always knew the start was always going to be something he had to work on because of his his his, his physical structure. And I remember a very funny um uh, uh, a race and world championships in Beijing in 2015. I, I was, I, I ended up watching the semi final and he stumbled at the blocks, almost mm. didn't make the final. So I called him in between the semi and the final. I said, Man, what are you doing? And and he said, oh, I've been, I'm just trying to nail the start, work on the start. I said, Bruv, you don't need to work on the start. You're going to win the race, but you're going to, you're going to mess it up more if you mm. keep. You know, you know, you know what to do. And, and he said, it's funny you say that my coach did the same thing. And he went out and he created history and won. And I'm not saying it's from my advice. He, I mean, he had a great coach and had that advice given to him anyway. But, you know, talking about trying to look for those one percenters, I don't think if you're at the top of your sport, if you're not doing that, I don't think you'll be up there for long or you know what exactly what you're doing. I think it's a very key component to always, always be in pursuit of that perfection. Well, thanks to Chemist Warehouse. It's House of Aths right across the SN network. You head into Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. We only have superstars on this show. We're going to get to uh, what happened uh, in Morocco a couple of days ago in the Diamond League when it comes to Bissett and Hoare, who ran particularly well. Vanessa Lowe's going to join us, Paralympic superstar and gold medalist in about three or four minutes' time. I just want to quickly ask you, though, I've never asked you this. Being a 400-meter one lap, is there a way where the wind can blow that you liked? Like if you're 100 meters or you're a long jumper and you're waiting for the wind and you're going to have it at your tail, it makes a little bit of a difference. When you're at 400 meters, there's a chance you have a headwind up the back and a tailwind or vice versa. Like, did that come into play at all when thinking about being a 400 meter runner? Yeah, I wasn't the most extremely talented dude. So if I was looking for everything, my yeah. mother, you got you got to understand that. So. Yeah, I mean, wind, wind in your straight line uh, sprinting events and, and your straight line jumping and throwing events, uh, most definitely. For, for the discus throwers, they like a tiny bit of a headwind because it gives the discus a little bit more a little bit more lift. And the same when it comes to the javelin throwers. And please, guys, for those that are throwing, I know I'm not an expert on throwing, so please text in, call in if I'm cor- incorrect with this. Um, and for your 100-meter runners, obviously you want a tailwind within mm-hmm. two meters per second. Uh, for a quarter mile, man, when you're running, um, ideally, man, you'd want the wind to circle in the stadium. So you want it to come in from the, from the 100 meter start so behind the 100 meter runners to come down hopefully the stadium where it's built the wind will hit the corner and sort of start to create a bit of a a bit of a uh, like a, a spinning sort of synergy kind of effect um and then and hopefully that can sort of help you and uh, but if that wasn't the case in an open stadium i'd much rather prefer having a little bit of a, a tailwind down the back stretch and so i can sort of carry a lot of momentum sit high in my running gate and I let the wind sort of carry me down the back stretch so i don't have to do a lot of work in the first 200 and then and then sort of hope that my mechanics can sort of take on the the headwind coming home as long as it's not too strong but ideally man no wind is always the best and vanessa low no doubt is going to be one of those athletes she's yes. going to join us all thanks to chemist warehouse on the other side of this right here on the house of ats Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein, powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats with Cam Luke and John Stephenson. Well, thanks to Chemist Warehouse, wherever you might be, right around Australia via the SCN Network or the world via the podcast or YouTube. Make sure you get involved anytime you want to reach out. Just text us 043398 and make sure you head into Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. We say this each and every week, Johnny Steph. We only have the biggest of superstars on this show. 
That's 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 pretty much what we say, isn't it? I mean, it's just how we roll, Cam. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't mean to be this successful, but we are. I mean, you know, what do you want me to say, Cam? <laughs> I, I was just gonna say that the absolute creme de la creme superstar athletes are great at being able to manage their time so they can say good day to us. And today is no different because we have got a superstar. Vanessa Lowe is in the house. Sure Vanessa, hello to you. Hey there, how are you? Vanessa. <laughs> now we got we an, an incredible career, gold medal, the Olympian with the Paralympic Worlds not too far away, which we're gonna fire up and talk about in a moment. But off air you were just telling me that you've just traveled to Germany and you've got an eleventh eleven month old son. Surely that is harder. Traveling to the other side of the world with everything you got to worry about when it comes to all your bags and make sure you diet and everything's right. Having a little 11 month old on his first international trip must be harder than any Olympic, any Paralympic Games. It was a shockingly hard trip, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I'm not sure how many parents are there listening, but holy, um, it's um, in athletics, you can plan a lot of things, but. When you have a little baby, they have their own little minds. They want to do what they want to do, and um, that was hard. <laughs> Did you notice? So you, you you have been at the top of your game and traveling all around the world for you know, more than a decade now, and I'm sure there are times where you're like, now I know it's time to sleep. I've got to eat here and all the rest of it, where you can have some type of selfish attitude because you're like, I'm looking after myself to make sure I get the best out of it. That That's gone. That's gone. So was there times on the plane you were like, I'm meant to be eating, I'm meant to be doing this, but I've got to look after the little fella? Um, I actually have a champion of a husband that is helping out heaps. So um, I still can be selfish at times when it's really necessary. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a different journey and a different experience all around. You talk about your husband, uh, Scotty, Scotty Reardon, if I'm correct. Uh, and I, 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 had a, I had a good uh uh, spent some good time with Scotty through Nitro. He's a Nitro alumni, Cam. Yes, he is. And, uh, and I got to know Vanessa through through Scott. And uh, it must be a huge help when you have someone like him who's, who's sort of been there and done that in the sport as well. And especially now you've got a youngster, um, Vanessa, to be able to help you through and what you're achieving in your career. That's so special because he just understands and he gets it. And I think I'm sometimes pretty hard on myself because I want to be um, living up to the ex expectations that I have for myself as a parent. But he knows, like, this time round, like, so close to the championship, the highest priority is, like, looking after myself and he makes sure I can do that. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it with any, any other yes. person, really. But, but Vanessa, there should be. Is there a lot of crossover? Obviously, Scott was a, a was a great sprinter. Do you do you use a lot of uh, the advice he can give you? Because speed is everything in the long jump, right? The more momentum you can gain down the runway, they say potentially the further you can go, right? Um, obviously, there's a lot more other key elements that come into it. Um, we are, is he has he helped you on that side of things with your with your, with your jumping? Absolutely. Um, so not many people actually know um, he has stepped in as my coach um, since Tokyo. So um, no he's way. retired from athletics himself, but he's now my coach. So he's um, father, husband, um, coach, um, baby daddy, all in one. Um, <laughs> and his insights is just, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's so good because like he understands what it means to run on a prosthetic, but he also sees what I need for a long jump. Um, and yes, speed is crucial by the same time. Um, it's not everything. Actually feeling comfortable on the leg and trying to get to a position where it can take off um, is so um, so different to what it is like in able-bodied sport. So he can actually understand that even though we're still doing the same sport, um, there's certain things that are just different about it. 
Wait, wait, you talk, sorry, go on, sorry. I was yeah. just going to ask you yeah. about the decision to have Scott coach you now. Like, what, what was the decision behind it? You've been extremely successful prior to that as well. Was it a tough decision? Was it an easy decision? There's always, you know, a little trepidation sometimes when you are coached by your, your husband or wife, regardless of, of, of what sport it might be and who the person is. How did that decision come for you? Um, it was somewhat of a hard decision, but at the same time, we didn't really think much about it because we always spend a lot of time with each other because we, um, we train side by side. So it was quite something that's quite normal for us. Um, and I think when we went um, after Tokyo and made the decision that I was going to continue on, um, it just made sense because we can be as flexible as we need to be trying to manage um, parenthood and athletics. Um, so actually stepping away from a training group and, and being our own little unit um, actually really made sense. And again, like no one knows me as he does and mm. he understands what I have to do in the sport um, to be the best I can and then able to understand, uh, able to support me um, on everyday life and in training um, yeah. to get there. So yeah, it didn't, didn't take much thinking. Vanessa, let's talk about the, the technical element of your sport and, and excuse my ignorance here, and I think a lot of our listeners would, would love to know. Talk us through the prosthetics. How much has the technology sort of, um, you know, improved from, say, 10 years ago to a year? And how much of a part does it play for you? Are you working, you know, with with uh, with uh, biomechanists and you're trying to improve that technology or is it still come down to sort of how you look at the sport technically from your own perspective? It has changed a lot over the years. And when I look back to what we ran on 10 years ago, I can't believe that we made that work because it was really just an assembly of random pieces that weren't really made for sport. So um, wow. those days there's a designated sport knee, um, there's designated parts that we can use for sport and it made things so much easier and less hard on the body as well. Um, but at the same wow. time, like for me to improve, I use my body. So, um, yes, technology is constantly improving and changing. Um, but if we can't use our body, um, we, we won't be able to run the times that we do and jump the distances that we do. So technology isn't everything. Um, and understanding your body is actually really key to make sure to um, pick technology that works for you personally. So it takes a great deal of getting used to new technology. It's also um, something that's not always going to work for everyone. I mean, you have to find out what's, what's the best for you. So um, finding the balance between training your body, focusing on that aspect, but don't um, neglect the prosthetics because it's without technology, we couldn't run. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great balance. I, I, I do want to ask you about, you know, this situation and I hear, you know, in athletes in particular, probably here in Australia, we hear it a little bit more when it comes to the AFL and the NRL players that everything's about winning. And then the moment they have a child, their perception changes. They're a bit more relaxed. They're not as worried and caught up on the little things, be it a bad game or a bad kick or might be, you know, whatever it might be. They're able to focus and prioritize a little differently while also giving everything they've got to be the best athlete they can be. Now it has only been 11 months but have you had a little bit of those feelings already? Of course, we've got a we've got a para world championships, you know, a month away, so we're going to get a a real guide there. But how how do you, when I talk about that, see the 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 little fella coming in and changing your idea about how it all means? Oh, I really put things into perspective. Um, over the years, I mean, I always loved the sport and I always wanted to pursue this career because I loved the training, I loved the competition, but I also wanted to win, and I still want to win. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think these days um, my priorities are just different. I, I'm still in the sport because I love the training and I'm still trying to do my best. But I know that 
I can't aim for perfection all the time because um, in, in parenting, I mean, you're just doing the best that you can. And that's what I'm doing in training now as well. I'm just trying to um, chip away on it every single day, not getting so caught up in if things aren't going my way. If I had a horrible night's sleep just the night before competition, it is what it is. And I just make work. And I think that's something that has changed in a positive way because it means that I get to enjoy the sport a lot more and don't get so caught up in about all the things that aren't going my way and really focusing on all the positives. So you just still do a lot of training out in Germany. Do you take your son with you and uh, how much does it, how good does it feel when you go back home and you're getting ready for a European season, be able to train at home and then get ready for comp? Oh, it's been so nice. I'm back at the training center where I used to be based for four years. So it's um, almost feeling like a blast from the past. It's like a lot of memories coming back. Um, and my workplace comes with a sandpit. So a little man is always there, <laughs> always um, happy to play along. And um, he's part of the show. Yeah, the sandpit. I, I tell you what, there's not many uh, pursuits, I guess, where a sandpit is involved when you're, a, when you're a new parent and you've got a little one floating around. But I assume there are little things that make life a little easier. And a sandpit is one of them. So being able to combine the two probably has its advantages. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, he can be part of it because there's always something for him to do i mean um now these days when i show up in training back home like everyone loves him so um people are more than happy to to take him for a little play here and there and it's like Pretty a big adventure park <laughs> <laughs> well a fun fat well, fun fat cam the great greg rutherford who won gold in 2012 in the long jump yes. for great britain um built his own long jump uh runway and pit in the back of his house so he sort of combined head play time training, sandpit. So yeah, there's, there's been other jumpers that have done this, Cam. I like it. Let's go back to Tokyo because it's it's always interesting when I talk and we talk to athletes and we talk about Tokyo and the very fact it was such a different Olympic and, and Paralympic Games with the way the world was at the time. But when, you, when you're able to do what you did and it's different without having the full house in there, which we'll, we'll have in a month's time. But just going back to your memories, you, you've, you've competed – for two countries at the highest level, but to be able to do what you did back in Tokyo, it just, I'm assuming it's number one, is it, outside of uh, starting the family? Uh, probably is. I think being able to do the experience together with my husband was really special. And although this time around my family wasn't there, which in the last few games um, they were, um, that was probably the one thing that was missing. Um, but otherwise, I mean, being able to back it up from from Rio stepping out onto the stadium in the day, enjoying what I was doing and then taking home the gold. I mean, you really can't have it any better. Is there anything better than winning something like that and also having a world record? I know when the gold medal's around your neck, the the, the, the length of the jump or the, the time of the race is kind of irrelevant, but to be able to put what has seemed to be a, a perfect competition together or a perfect jump, and it was a it was a wonderful competition with the, the three ladies on the podium all jumping particularly well, it, it, you just must think to yourself, this is exactly the perfect storm and how it's meant to be. Absolutely. And, I mean, yes, you're right. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter um, the distance or whatnot as long as you um, take on the right um, the right medal on the day. But it's it's actually really great when you walk away and all of us have done actually amazing. All of us done really great performances. So standing on top of the podium meant that I did not only do well on the day, I was able to defeat the people that also did well on the day. Are you an athlete that is spurred on by the adrenaline that the crowd does give? Because we do see different different situations in COVID where you're in front of an empty stadium at different times compared to what we're going to see, you know, and hopefully going forward with the, with the world's not too far away. Are you someone who can really, you know, propel off that runway thanks to the crowd or are you someone who's just able to zone out and it almost didn't matter? I 
I do. I love a good crowd and I love some noise because I love the competition. Yeah. And I think that's what's special about competing is having the energy in the stadium. And it was definitely different stepping out in Tokyo where it was empty and then almost felt like a kind of like a test event sort of thing. Um, but I, I had to find something on the day to still hype myself up and be in the moment and still enjoy the moment as well and make it a special experience to, despite the fact that there weren't any spectators. Um, and that itself was... Um, yeah, was something special. I, I particularly did like uh, Johnny Steph. I would have seen you to do this, but of course, with the smaller, much much smaller crowd in Tokyo, we've seen some of these field athletes doing the slow clap, and then of course, the crowd traditionally gets involved. But it is part of a ritual now for some athletes where they still did the slow clap, even though there wasn't a great deal of people in the stadium to actually do it. So, firstly, it's a two-part question, Vanessa. Are you a slow clapper to get the crowd involved? And did you still do it in Tokyo where there wasn't exactly a huge amount of people there? I'm not much of a slow clapper because I like hearing myself as much as I can um, because I can't feel what my legs are doing. So, I actually like having a little bit of... um, sound and see um hear what's going on um i'm more liking the crowd to actually celebrate and um and that part of the journey um so yeah i didn't do that in tokyo and i didn't need it um i mean it is sometimes nice to get a crowd involved and um make it a show for them as well what would you be cam would you be a would no. you be a, a clapper no, are you a screamer <laughs> nah. or what would you be mate oh slow clap <laughs> the whole lot into a yell, <laughs> into a like a probably a uh like a a 345, 346 long jump into a trot out of the stand, sand. I, I reckon that's Vanessa all I do. does that from a standing jump. I know jump, she man. does. I'm, but I'm not a world-class <laughs> athlete, <laughs> which I'm sure that everyone knows that. No, I, I, I did find it interesting in that situation. Hey, Vanessa, before we do let you go, uh, you know, the para world's not far away, but you're, you're in Europe, you're in Germany. What's, what's it look like for the next month or so when it comes to competition? Uh, the reason I'm here is to compete because um, I missed out on most of domestic season because I was just returning back from pregnancy. Um, so just having fun with it, getting into the right mindset um, so that I can go into Worlds and feel prepared um, and feel excited to be there. So, um, yeah, it's finding that excitement and it's finding that um, competitive edge. Did you think about not having a crack at the at, at the Worlds and maybe more focusing on Paris? When you, when you have a baby and it's – you're 12 months out from the world championships. Did it cross your mind to take it maybe a little easier, like a normal person who would just do it or the superstar that you are? You're like, you know what? I'm going to back myself in here. Uh, the priority is Paris next year for yeah. sure. Um, and I knew that if it wasn't going to work out this year, that was absolutely fine because the priority is next year. Um, but I wanted to give it a fair shot and um, and we did. So um, it's exciting to to be able to do this in a very different space. Um and have little Baba watch me compete, um, have my husband by my side as well. Um, it's, it's really cool. Like, I'm really proud of ourselves that we got here. Um, and it was definitely not an easy journey. I mean, there were many sleepless nights and um, many doubts along the way whether or not we could make it work. Um, but we got here and we're now only, we literally just talked about it six weeks ago, uh, we, six weeks to go until we're standing and compete. So, um, yeah, crazy to think um, that we made that work. It's an amazing, it, it took John Stephenson three years to go for a run after he had kids and he didn't give birth to them. So that, that's, that's sort of shows how great you are of being able to do this and be on the, the biggest stage. Was it three years? I still or don't run. Hours? What are you talking about, girls? <laughs> he just did bicep curls once he had kids. Uh, it's, an, it's an amazing story. We, we, we love it. We do, we do half 
talk about it a lot on his show. Only the absolute superstars come on his show, Vanessa. We haven't got a great deal of time. So any time that we want to reach out to somebody, they are the creme de la creme. They have an impressive CV and not many are more impressive than yours. And it's only going to get fuller over the next 12 or 15 months as we head towards Paris as well. So good luck over the next couple of months. And we'll talk again soon. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Uh, there we go. All thanks to Chemist Warehouse. What oh, a very impressive legend. Camp. A very quick very break. Impressive. House of Ass. Plenty more of it next. Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein. Powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats with Cam Luke and John Stephenson. Yeah, it most certainly is. 043398 to get involved off the text. Yeah. Somebody has... Actually, you know what? Just off the text here from Jacob, he's actually asked... Uh, on the back of what you were talking about earlier in the show about stadiums and how they were built and the wind, did you have yeah. a favourite stadium? Did you have a favourite stadium that you ran in or a favourite track? Without a doubt. My favourite Australian stadium has to be the MCG. Yeah. That stadium rocked, man. I still think it's one of the greatest stadiums in the world regardless. And I haven't been to all of them, but I still think it's a great stadium. As far as my favourite stadium I raced in, uh, would most probably St. Denis Stadium in Paris in 2003. That thing rocked, man. 60,000 people. And the way it's shaped, it's pretty cool. It's like an amphitheater. And uh, um, and that's probably my favorite European um, stadium that I raced in. So I'm not sure if that's the, the main stadium for, um, for Paris Olympics. I could be wrong. Um, I don't know if they built a new stadium, but that could be the main stadium for Paris Olympics for, for the Games. Ooh, love it. Now, let's go back to last weekend because Morocco is where Diamond League was after a yes. couple of weeks break. We get a quick turnaround this weekend in the Florence, but uh, Bissett was great. Hall was great. Yes. And Lyndon Hall was pretty good as well. Season best to finish sixth in that 1500. Yes. But we'll start with Kat Bissett, who joined us last week on this show. It was fast. It was fast, but she spoke about nailing the run prior to going in, and she pretty much did yeah. that to end up on a podium. No, it was extremely fast, Cam. But what I like about Katrina, look, the one thing we've got to say, you guys, you've got to understand, um, when you're seeing results second, Sixth, uh, third. You got to understand. In Europe, you're running against the very best in the world, so you can almost equivalent it to running a world champ final. So mm -hmm. you know, when we say athletes, do not be dejected by when you see these results. Like, oh, they didn't win. No, no, this can turn around very, very quickly. Um, I, I thought Katrina finished off the race really strong. She looked great coming down the home stretch. Um, you know, she looked like she still had a bit of work in her legs. Um, does not look tapered at all, and and I think that's really promising, Cam. And as as the games comes along, um, like like a racehorse, man, you want them to start to lean up a little bit they start to get a bit gaunt in their face you can sort of see in their skin sort of how much water they're carrying and that normally tells you what part of their taper they're in uh katrina looks still she looks still like like she still had a bit of load in a, in, in what in her training block and what she's doing and especially when she finished up the race so it shows great promise she wasn't scared in the race she attacked it um and she showed strength coming home which is very very positive so um uh, i think it's a really really good place for for katrina to be Brilliantly said, brilliantly done as well when it comes to Ollie Hall because that was a little bit different. The men's race was slower. It was a bit more tactical. The women's went out, but it was a little more tactical. He tried to clamp onto the best 1,500-meter runner in the world, and he did speak, and I will quote this to get this correct. He said, if third place at a Diamond League is a bit of a disappointment, it's a good place to be. And, and you touched on that a moment ago. It's like a world championship final. So while we look at this and we're like, hey, you know what, Ollie Hall, third in his Diamond League, yeah. that gives so much confidence to these athletes. 
And, I, and what I like, Cam, when we spoke to Ollie Hall, he was very, very calculated about what races he's going to do well yeah. in, where he wants to, what, what he, how he wants to work in his game plan. We know about Ollie; he's a thinker, he's a scientist when he gets out there, and we've seen that now uh, in in this race. In this, I wouldn't be surprised if he was trying some something different. I mean, look, every time you step into a dime league, you want to win. Yeah. That's without a doubt. But when you're working with your coach, your main goal is world championships, and everything you do between now and world championships about building a massive toolkit to use when you get to world championships. Ollie talked very clearly to us about that and what happened in Oregon compared to what, what he wants to do in Budapest. So um, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, he is the standout. He is the gold standard, uh, literally, when it comes yep. to this event. Um, and when it comes to 1,500 guys and girls, you've got to understand you. Like, you can, it's about winning. And we talked about this a couple episodes ago. When you get in these races, it's about winning, right? Times are irrelevant, man. When you get to a championships, it's just about winning and learning how you put yourself to win. So the, I'm never worried about when you look at these events about the time, more concerned about how an athlete races. And I think Ollie put himself in a great position. Oslo Diamond League next for him. And I do quote Ollie when I say this, the one goal, again, just echoing what you just said, the one goal for this year is to go through to the Worlds and qualify for the final and come out with a medal or win. So while there is always that competitive juice and you've got to be able to run well, in particular, to help yourself financially in these Diamond League events. But the fact is, it's all about Budapest in the not too distant future and standing up and delivering. Now, Florence this weekend. And it's a little disappointing because we're not going to see the creme de la creme matchup when it comes to the 100 metres, which I know you're pumped about, Johnny Steph. I know you're pumped to see these two mm. men finally meet. Mm. Yeah, very, very disappointing, Cam, because at the end of the day, Marcel Jacobs, he set the standard in Tokyo and he declared himself as the best 100-meter runner in the world, being Olympic champion. We saw him pull out of world championships last year and Fred Kelly really has taken that mantle and taken that spot. This was meant to be the matchup to, to really separate, okay, I am the one to watch come Budapest and now we're not going to see it with Marcel Jacobs. But there is another runner in there, Cam, that I think can actually upset Fred Kelly in Florence and that's a Kenyan runner by the name of Ferdinand Omanyala. Now, for those that don't know him, he set a blistering run last year, 9-7, um, came to World Champions, actually missed his flight to World Champions, arrived that day of the start of the 100 metres and just managed to make it to, to the heats and managed to go through and unfortunately, you know, obviously had the World Champs that he had. Um, but I think he's dangerous. He opened up again very, very fast this year. I think he can upset Fred Curley in Florence, Cam. I reckon if I was, a, again, gamble responsibly, but if I was a punter, I'd have a little bit of flutter on Ferdinand. I reckon he could take out the win 100 metres in Florence. So I think this is certainly not going to happen, right? This is certainly not going to happen, Johnny Steph, but it is best for the sport if Jacobs and Curley happen to not meet prior to the World Championships. Now, the odds of that happening are almost none because these men have to run Diamond League, and we, we speak about the financial component of this, But if these two men, after we've been sitting around waiting for the better part of two years, don't bump into each other until mm. a world championship final, and I will go one step further, IAAF, make sure they don't meet in a semi or a heat. Just mm. use the, uh, the ping pong balls a little bit differently and make sure that if this works and they get to Budapest and they haven't <laughs> weirdly ran into each other, Make sure the final's going to go to a next level, Johnny. Now, again, I preface it by saying the odds are extremely unlikely, but I think it'd be great for the sport if that happened. Oh, back in the day, those are the purists. Remember Maurice Green and Michael Johnson when they met up at uh, at Olympic trials in 2000 um, in the 200 meters. Yep. You know, it was a race set up for um, for head-to-head, -head, the 100-meter champion versus the 400-meter champion meeting at 200 meters. So, I mean, everyone loves a good matchup. Um, and, you know, I, I think... I, I personally know that you, 
they don't have to run Diamond Lee, Cam. He, uh, Marcel can avoid um, Fred Curley all year if he really wants to. Um, I don't think it's wise for him. I got a feeling that Marcel won't even make the final at, at World Champs this year. Um, and and I, I think that he's gonna, you know, if you're struggling with injury this deep before your season starts, um, it's it's. I mean, you're dealing. This hundred meters is stacked this year, man. Mm-hmm. I can name three names off my head that I think have a chance right now of winning this 100 meters, let alone the young collegiate kids coming through, let alone young Caribbean kids coming through, you know, African kids coming through, um, Australian. I mean, who says Rowan Browning doesn't find another gear and uh, find himself in a final and, and shock in the world? I'm telling Marcel you. Jacobs did it. He, so, he's going to you know, do it. So, yeah, so you know, you know, I mean, this is this is the beauty of our sport. So um, you want to be in a good position. You want to be you want to be racing now, Cam. And I think for Marcel and his team, I'd be hitting panic stations right now if I still had injury worries and I was pulling out of me. Just quickly, and does sorry, Cam, and especially a home meet being in Florence. Yeah, obviously, Marcel. For those that don't know, he's Italian. Run, represents Italy um, as a nation. So especially when you when you miss your home races, Cam. Mm, that 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 means something's really wrong. Well, this back injury, of course, is well. Any back injury is never good. Does it change their mindset going forward? And I'm not saying they scrap the worlds. I'm not suggesting that's a conversation. But do they think to themselves at some point? Because Paris, he is the Olympic defending 100 meter champion. So so much of what happens in Paris is. is I'm not going to say the whole Olympics is based around who wins the men's 100-meter final, because that's ridiculous. But it is one of the creme de la creme events each and every Olympic Games, and he is going to be the defending champion. Does it change their mindset that if you can't quite get right, you sort of start to just change your focus and your priorities in this particular season and make sure it's not a concern for next year? Look, I don't look. I don't think so. I okay. mean, I'm, I can only talk from personal experience. Mm-hmm. I, if I have a bad year one year, that does and has absolutely nothing to do with my next year. I just have to get it right. Um, but what I will tell you is that you, you're only getting one year older, and 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 and, and you know, and, and you want to kind of limit. You know, you when you when you're hot, you're hot. You need to make hay when the sun is shining. So, um, like I said to you, Marcel will want to be going to World Championships here and being very competitive, at least winning a medal, um, which then gives him four momentum coming into Paris. Nobody wants to be starting from a a standing start um, coming into Olympic games by being injured at a mm. world championships. We're talking about wind and headwind and tailwind and all the rest of it, but the winds are blowing on a particular topic, Johnny Steph, that I need to ask you about to see if you can give me some type of clarity on it because it does excite me, but I need to find out if it's actually true. That's next right here on the House of Ats. Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein, powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats. With Cam Luke and John Stephenson. That's the best advice you can get. Head into Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. We don't have a great deal of time, Johnny, so I'm just going to throw this straight towards you. In the 2006 Commonwealth Games, we've spoken about it. The last lap was the place to be. You and I put it on the agenda a couple of weeks ago that we should have our last lap in Paris, sponsored by Chemist Warehouse for the Australian athletes. And it's my belief that the winds are blowing somewhere towards it possibly getting off the ground. Have you heard anything about this? Oh, Cam, and you are quite right. Our brother Mario uh, at Chemist Warehouse, the main man, 
He loved the idea. Yeah, he, he he was not. He was not. He, he did not say no, Cam. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. He said, you know, he sent me a text saying, you know, there might be a little bit of a possibility. Yes, Johnny Steph, we've got to see what our partners think. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, I said, Murray, you're scratching where it itch. Cam and I will be, uh, you know, you're talking this marathon stuff that got me a bit nervous. Yep. Now we're starting to go towards yeah. this last lap stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's right up the Steph's alley. You know what I mean? I can sort of go in that direction, Cam. Agreed. You know what I mean? So so um. We, we're not. We, look, we're not at the woods yet, Cam. We've got to really. We've got to tread lightly. Maybe we've got to get Mario back on the show, put I agree. him in a vulnerable position, and sort of just you know work it a bit more. Get mm-hmm. him to commit, Cam. So this is how I see it happening. I have been working some logistics. Uh, that we have a one particular line that if you have an Australian passport and you were in the Olympics, automatically entry VIP, right? Yep. yep then yep, yep, at yep, the yep, other like side of it, behind the other velvet rope, if you're an Olympic athlete. Doesn't matter what passport you've got, you get second dibs to go on in, right? So it's the athletes that we're trying to cater for because they are so wonderfully need to be celebrated and rewarded. Then we have another velvet rope that has just Australian residents who are over there who want to mingle and meet some of these great athletes. And inside, behind no velvet rope, me, you and Mario and the Chemist Warehouse crew to welcome the greatest athletes in the world and celebrate all the hard work we've done. So that's pretty much how I see the, the lines working. We're going to get out of here for Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. Make sure you head in. We'll see you next week, Johnny. Yeah, I love it. See you, mate.